You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered, what is creation? Or what does the Bible mean by creation? Well, if you're looking for a podcast with all the answers about creation, evolution, the age of the earth, um, and everything that will help you understand your faith better, then you have come exactly to the wrong place. If instead you're looking for a show that's going to ask the big question, struggle with differing opinions from smart theologians over thousands of years, and leave you clueless as to what you're supposed to believe, then you found the perfect show for you. This is a show designed to give you more questions than answers. I am Joshua Knoll. I am a dummy who loves theology and God and hopes to show my love for God by studying and thinking deeply about topics that people smarter than me have been thinking about for thousands of years. So we are still Genesis 1, verse 1. Um, we've talked about what the Bible is. We've talked about who God is. We've talked about what theology is. Um, then we get to in the beginning, and we had to talk about what time is, what is the beginning, and then we get to God created the heavens and the earth. And last time we talked about what are the heavens, what is the heavens, and we came up with no answers, per usual. This time we're going to go back a step. God created. What does it mean by that word created? Um, it's going to be a bit of a trigger word in a lot of theological circles these days. Some people think God could have created via evolution. Some people think that that's hypocrisy and you can't believe that at all. If you believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Um, you know, the question is, is Genesis 1 literal or is it figurative? That question, if you're not talking about evolution, just the question of is it literal or not, has been around a little over 2,000 years, actually longer than that. We've been wondering, is this poetry? Is this a literal account of history? What What is Genesis chapter 1? Um, and did God have to create everything from nothing? Um, the doctrine is called ex nihilo. That's been around for a long that has been around for an extremely long time as well. Like, did God create from nothing or did God have help? Some people posit. Um, was creation instantaneous? Did it just happen in a moment? Like, you know, the verse is literal. God spoke. Boom. There it is. What all did God actually create on his own? You know, um, to an extent, I think it would be really foolish for people to say that God alone created our children. Well, obviously, parents had something to do with creating the child, right? Like, that's just how things work. So when we're thinking about these things, we have to ask, what did God do by himself? What is just God? What do we mean when we say creation? What happened at creation? How did it unfold? What exactly was the makeup that caused this to be? Um, I say the church has been disagreeing about this for an extremely long time. We go back to some of the earliest church fathers that we have records of. Some stuff, uh, when you get to like the apostles, and then you have the apostles, disciples, and then their disciples. The apostles, disciples, it's hard to find too much from that group. You, you, you do find some, but it's not as prevalent as the group after. So you have a lot from Jesus, the people who were with Jesus, the people they taught, we have some. But the people that those people taught, we have a lot. So going all the way to Origen in 185 to 253, he has a quote about creation. He, he said, um, and we have this from different letters and writing and stuff. He says, for who that has understanding will suppose that the first and second and third day existed without a sun and moon and stars, and that the first day was, as it were, also without a sky. I do not suppose that anyone doubt that these things figurative, indicative, certain mysteries, the history having taken place in appearance and have and are not literal. Um, basically, Origen 185 
253 AD. So we're talking second, third century. We have one of the biggest Christian thinkers saying, um, it seems like it would just be silly to say that Genesis 1 was literal. He's looking at this like we would say there's no sky, there's no sun. That's not a day. How can that be a day? So even back then, um, and we're just talking about Christian thought, I'm not even talking about Jewish thought. There was a lot of, no, that can't be literal. That doesn't make sense. Um, he believed that cre- creation is eternal. We're constantly being created. And it comes from God, just like light comes from the sun. So creation just kind of exudes from God's being. Um, he would say there's two creation stories. There's an incorporeal and there's a corporeal. So, you know, he's saying we look at Genesis 1, we see this kind of like figurative weird stuff. And then Genesis 2 seems like it's more on the ground. Here's what happened. But he says that one day, he, he says that in the Bible when it says um, on, on day one, this happened. He says, it says one day. It does not say this was the first day. So a lot of things could happen before then. According to Origen, again, 185, 253, AD, no evolutionary thing on the mind. Just reading the text for the text. This is what smart people were thinking about. Um, of course, that wasn't the only thought. Uh, we look at some of the first big debates on Genesis 1. When we get to um, St. Ambrose and his mentee, St. Augustine. They disagreed. So St. Augustine was taught by Ambrose. And some of their disagreements have to do with this idea of ex nihilo and instantaneous creation. Um, I I believe Augustine actually also believed that everything had to be created from nothing and the instantaneous thing. I think they both are on same age with that. The problem then comes to what time was it created? And what's interesting here is Ambrose says everything is literal. These texts happen exactly the way it was. Augustine's problem with taking it literal is he thought that that made the earth too old. He thought there was no way the earth was already 6,000 years old. That seems impossible. He thought the earth had to be a lot younger. And that's why he took a more figurative reading of the thing because he thought that that made more sense. But you'll see that a lot of people today, especially evolutionary creationists, are going to use Augustine's writing to kind of back their own because he was reading it figuratively. But mind you, he's reading it figuratively because he wants a younger Earth. A lot of people today are reading it figuratively because they believe in an older Earth. Ambrose just took it straight on for what it was. So this is 300s, 400s AD. We're having these debates. Did everything get created from nothing? Was everything created in an instant? Was that chapter meant to be literal? Augustine had a lot of like angels going back and forth and stories happening between the days. Was there a gap theory back then even? Seems likely. Um, for those who don't know what the gap theory is, a lot of people will say, um, Genesis 1 says day one, this happened, day two, this happened. A lot of people who want to take the Bible more at face value but still believe in creation, evolutionary creationism, what they'll say is that because it says day one, we know a lot of stuff happened, and that's how evolution happened because you know we created this, and if you look at it, the way that chapter one unfolds is a lot how people believe evolution took place. Animals, you know, bugs, sea creatures, animals, humans. The order that it happened matches up. So they'd say that these are days, not in order consecutive days. You kind of get that from Augustine's writing, but for a very different purpose, not because of evolution. So skip forward. We go all the way to past the medieval ages, go to the Reformation. So we're looking at the 1500s or 1800s. You have John Calvin and Martin Luther both talking about creation then. And you see a different story. The Catholic Church has long taught that Genesis 1 is mostly figurative um, you know, there's a lot of caveats there, a lot to unfold, but here in the Reformation, people are changing up doctrines. People are saying a lot of what the Catholic ta- Church taught wasn't completely correct. 
positing their own theories. John Calvin taught all things have to depend wholly on God in order to reflect his glory. So if we're going to say creation reflects God's glory, as it says in the Bible over and over and over, everything has to depend on God, which means he had to create all things on his own or else it's not reflecting his glory, it's reflecting his glory and whoever helped him or else it's reflecting its own glory. But if it came directly from God, it's reflecting his glory. Um, and since that's a huge part of Calvinist theology is that everything reflects God's glory, that means God had to create everything. Um, obviously, a lot of your things against that is up. There's a lot in this earth that doesn't really seem to give glory to God, but actually seems kind of negative, kind of dark, kind of bad. So you do have to push back on that belief as well. But that is what John Calvin taught. Um, Martin Luther, he taught a literal reading of the text. Now, when he said literal, he meant face value. So something when you read through Psalms, obviously doesn't mean this exactly happened or we should do this. But face value, what does the text say? What does that mean? That was sort of one of his main teachings. It's what a lot of evangelical churches do today. So that's why you see a lot of anti-evolutionary stuff and all that comes from Luther's reading of the text. Ironically, Lutheran churches don't really feel the same way about that today. Um, Luther, one of his big penance of his doctrines was his creation doctrine. He believed that God is still creating. God is always creating. You know, we kind of saw that again with Origen. This creation comes from God like light comes from the sun. It's just exuding from him. Um, Martin Luther would say that creation happened in six literal days. He believed all the little things about the Bible, but he would say there's creation. Then God is creating through perseverance by keeping what he created. And then he is also doing this recreation. That's where we get salvation, all that. So God is just constantly creating, preserving, recreating, according to Martin Luther. Now we go to modern the modern church. What are the debates? What's going on today? Again, um, you're not going to see a lot of my own beliefs on this stuff because these people are way smarter than me. I find it interesting to look at all of the arguments, take them for what they are, and then see what implications does this have for my doctrine. So we're going to get more on that later. But right now, um, C.S. Lewis, he did not believe in a literal creation story. Um, at least a few times he quoted St. Augustine. The way he quoted Augustine was correct. However, he wrongly quoted Jerome a lot about there being a poetic creation story, that it wasn't meant to be literal. Jerome never said that. Um, I forget who it was. He was talking about somebody else who said that, and he just misattributed the quote. But yeah, C.S. Lewis believed figurative creation story. He was an evolutionary creationist. So C.S. Lewis, that's a pretty big name. Um, if you go to the fundamentalist papers in, um, this was like early American times before the Stokes trial, what does it mean to be fundamental in your Christian beliefs? You know, and they're kind of saying you have to believe the Bible literal, you have to do this, you have to do that. One of the guys who wrote for the fundamentalist paper was a creation, was an evolutionary creationist. So at that point, it wasn't a huge you could be evolutionist and still be considered fundamental as within the realms of evangelical Christianity, even in America. It wasn't until the Stokes trial where legal stuff happened. They made an entire battle of church versus state. Is evolution right or is it creation right? After that trial is when the church, a lot of different stuff happened. But that's when you see a lot of this division over evolutionary creation and regular creation doesn't take place until after the Stokes trial. So if you want to know more about why that's such a polarizing issue in the church today, you really have to study that trial. Other smart people, John Stott and Martin Lloyd joins. So we're going over to kind of like Europe, European theologians. I say modern day. They're not still alive today, but pretty darn close. Um, you have theistic evolution, 
was sort of John Stott's role. John Stott believed there was some form of evolution. He didn't think it really affected how you read the Bible, how you interpreted original sin, any of that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, on the other hand, was very much against evolution. Um, he thought that if evolution were true, then original sin couldn't be true. You can't inherit sin if evolution's true because there wasn't a first man to do the first sin. Um, of course, that's why a lot of people don't believe that you inherit sin. Um, John Stott actually really taught that because man sinned, death entered amongst all creation. So it's not that we're inheriting sin, it's that death occurs because sin happened at all. Martin Lloyd-Jones would then posit, though, that this goes down to the trustworthiness of the Bible. If the Bible is not telling us literal truth, can we trust any of it? That was a big argument on his side, and it's what a lot of people still use today when you're going more to that, um, what I'll say is the right-minded side of this, I don't conservative side of this, traditional, I don't know what you would call that. Um, because it's not really traditional when Augustine didn't even agree with it back in the 300s. But the creation side of this will go down to the trustworthiness of the Bible. The theistic evolution side of this is going to go, well, we have to understand how the Bible is written, that this wasn't meant to be a literal thing. This is poetry. This is whatever. Those are kind of the big sides. Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott have a lot to write about this, both incredibly intelligent guys, a little bit more recent as in people who are still here today. Um, Thomas J. Ord. He's been on um, the Whole Church Podcast a few times, as well as Let Nothing Move You, another Anazal Ministries podcast. Shout out to the AMP network that we are a part of. He maintains that God had to have help. God didn't create anything on his own. Wayne Grudem, another incredibly smart guy, writes systematic theology, the, like the textbook used in most seminaries today, especially more conservative ones. They hugely disagree. So Dr. Ord is saying, God needed help to create things. God didn't create anything on his own. God works with creation to continue to create. Um, Dr. Ord is more of a universalist. You know, he doesn't necessarily rely on original sin having to be a thing. Um, and Dr. Ord wouldn't say the Bible is inerrant. He says that there's some things in the Bible can be wrong. So there's that. You know, the Bible doesn't necessarily have to be a verbatim, this is what God said book, it could just be a useful tool. So Dr. Ord believes in the Bible, but he doesn't necessarily believe that everything is exactly without error, without any issues. Wayne Grudem is the exact opposite. <laughs> the original sin is necessary if we're going to believe salvation, because why does God have to save us if we didn't inherit sin? How can we inherit salvation by believing in Christ if we're done also inheriting sin the way that we inherited it from Adam? Um, that's a big point when you're talking about like universalism and more some of your traditional, well, what we think of as traditional views on salvation. Um, one side is kind of saying we inherit sin. There's a, there's a verse, I think it's in Romans. It says, just as we inherit sin from Adam, all are now saved in Christ. Um, terrible misquote. Look it up for yourself. People like Wayne Grudem, people on the more traditional side of things are going to say we inherited sin. Thus we're all in sin. Thus we all need to salvation. And that's why original sin is important and why the Genesis one, two being literal is important to them. So, Going to biblical inerrancy, going to that side, that's what Wayne Grudem's looking at. When we're looking at people like Dr. Ord, some of your more progressive, even open relational theology views, what you're going to look at is, we're going to say not so, not so important. The Bible doesn't need to be inerrant. But what they do see in that verse, just as all have sinned, all now inherit salvation. So if we're going to say that Adam's sin applied death to everyone, then we're going to have to say, that Christ's death applies salvation to everyone. So that's kind of this Christian universalist thing, is that eventually everyone is saved through Christ just the same way that it, death entered among us all through Adam, because it seems to be what that verse says. 
mind you, they don't believe in inerrancy, but it does seem to be a truth that a lot of universalists will hold on to. Um, I might be misspeaking for Dr. Ord. I'm not sure what he believes as far as universalism says. I know he doesn't believe in inerrancy, um, and I know that he believes that God had help in creation. So two wildly different views. Look those guys up. Both of them, again, incredibly smart, way smarter than me. Um, a few other people, more recent, we're talking about Pete Inns and Matthew Henry. Highly respect both of these guys. If I had to point people to well, how you read the Bible, how you understand the Bible, and how you understand creation, I'd probably point them to these guys. Um, Matthew Henry writes, again, more traditional view. He has his own commentary. You can look at his commentary on Genesis. He cares a lot about the actual text. He's not caring about the debates on evolution or creation or anything like that. He's caring about what does the text say? Why does it say it? And what does it mean? Pete ends is more on the progressive side. Again, he cares what does the text say? Why does it say it? What does it mean? But he's looking at this as a piece of literature not meant to be taken literal that's symbolic of other things. Um, I mentioned Matthew Henry's commentary for Pete Inns. Um, you can read, um, what is it? It's like How to Read Genesis or Genesis for Normal People. That's the book. Um, pick up his book, Genesis for Normal People. Really help you understand that side of things. And if you want some free resources, another two big ones, BioLogos and Answers in Genesis. So Answers in Genesis are Ken Ham. Everything's literal. The earth is just a few thousand years old. And here's the science of how we think we can prove it. I'll be open with you. I think a lot of answers in Genesis stuff is just bad science. Just from what I know, as spending a few years in biochemistry, friends with a lot of people in the scientific community, seems like that's not really how science works. But they do a lot defending the scripture, looking at science from their perspective, that kind of stuff. So if you want some more sources on that, um, I'll put... I might drop that link in the show note as well for answers in Genesis. The other side by Logos is Christians who do believe in evolution. So this is evolutionary creationist looking at what we understand about God through science and how science can actually help us understand God better and love him better and think about him better. Something I advocate for a lot of. Um, I love their website, all their sources. So go, you go to Biologus. Um, you'll see Pete Inns over there. You'll see Tim Keller. Um, you know, shout out to Tim Keller. You know, we all already miss him big influence in my life. We will probably talk more about him on this show as we go on thinking about great theologians. He is amongst the best. Um, but you, you have a lot of really smart people over there in Biologus as well with great resources there. So check out both of those sites, Biologus and Genesis, if you want to continue this conversation, which I think everyone should, because it does have implications for what you believe about salvation, biblical inerrancy, original sin, humanity, God, everything. A lot of it comes down to what do we believe about creation. So I think that Martin Luther, even if I disagree with his views some about creation, I think he was exactly right to hinge all of his other beliefs around the doctrine of creation because it is a focal point of the scripture and of what we believe about God. So we mentioned some of those other implications. You know, We talked about original sin. How does original sin work if you believe in evolution? Some people do hold both of those views. You know, What they'll say is, you know, Eventually, there still had to be a first man and a first woman. So the Bible can be literal and there still be an Adam and Eve and evolution happen. Um, because again, you know, they'll have that gap theory, day one, day two, day three, etc. You know, a lot of people are going to say that the earth was already aged when it was created. It says in the beginning, the earth was void and say there was no earth. So the earth was there in the beginning. So you have to question how old was the earth? What was going on at that point? So when we're talking about geology, maybe the earth was there for millions of years and Genesis 1 happened literal. It's possible. Um, we're talking about biblical inerrancy with that kind of stuff. You know, some people throw it out just because of this. Some people say, no, I can hold on to it because 
a literal reading, we're going back to Martin Luther's idea of literal being just plain reading of the text. They'll just they'll agree with him about that and disagree with how he reads Genesis one and two because. Well, the idea is a plain reading. You see Genesis 1, how creation happens. Genesis 2, how creation happens are two different stories that don't always agree. Genesis 1 has animals and then man and woman being created at the same time. Genesis 2 has man and then animals and then woman being created. So the order is different. The name they use for God is different. You have Yahweh in chapter 1, um, which is most English translations will translate as Lord God. On chapter 2, you'll have Elohim, which a lot of translations just interpret as God. One is just God's formal name. One is just God, um, you know, Lord isn't necessarily a title of honor or anything. That's just what the English decided to do when we translated that. I don't know. I don't know why. But when you see two different names for God, we see two different writing styles. We see one that's very written poetically and mirrors each other. The other is kind of telling a linear story. They disagree on face value. So a lot of people will say a literal reading of Genesis 1 or 2 cannot give you a literal creation story because you'll read that and go, yeah, these don't agree with each other. We're not meant to take this as something that actually happened. So some people say literal reading will keep you from a literal understanding when you look at that. Um, I'm talking about Imago Dei. You know, that's one of the most, if not the most important of being created in God's image. How can I be created in God's image if I was just a result of evolution or a result of chance? You know, if it was just the Big Bang and things happen, eventually I'm here. What doesn't sound like I'm made specially in God's image, like the Bible says, right? Um, so a lot of your evolutionary creationists will look at that and what they'll interpret that as is, you no, know, God guided evolution and intended us to be here. So we are still a direct result of God's hand on the creation process through evolution. So they'll still say we're made Mago days, but a lot of creationists will see that and say, you know, you're saying I'm just a monkey. I'm not special. I'm not made in God's image. There is nothing different. Um, then when you get to the idea of a soul, a lot of people point to the Bible where it says that humans end up in heaven or the soul will live on. You know, there's a life after this. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that infers that. We talked about in the heavens. A lot of it is assumed. A lot of it isn't actually there. But if you're going to believe in an afterlife, the Bible seems to say a lot about humans and nothing about animals. So a lot of people believe animals don't have souls. Well, if animals don't have souls, how did humans one day end up with a soul? Did we just evolve with a soul at some point? doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, when we're talking about hermeneutics, I mean, even if you're getting outside of inherency, how do we read Genesis 1, Genesis 2? You know, are you reading it in historical context? Are you comparing it to other creation stories at the time? You know, the Mesopotamian creation story is extremely similar to Genesis 1 and 2. Um, one of the big differences being that in the Genesis story, woman doesn't come from man's foot or anything like that. Woman comes from man's side. Woman is made equal, you know, um, there isn't the status of other gods. There isn't the status of man over woman. There's a lot of equality in the Bible story. So how do we understand? Do we understand it in context of it may be commentating on other creation stories of its time? Or are we reading it just, again, face value? This is what happened. Or are we reading it as poetry? Or are we reading it only to see the spiritual meanings and we don't care what the literal meanings are? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. There's a lot to do with our hermeneutics. There's a lot to do with what we believe about being made in the image of God. There's a lot to do with what we believe about soul. There's a lot to, what does it mean to be human? Um, what does it mean to inherit sin or death? What does biblical inerrancy mean? All hinges on what we believe the Bible meant when it said God created. More importantly, what do you believe about God having thought of you, created you before time? Um, one thing 
both sides have in common this were actually pretty interesting um, a lot of the time. This isn't always. Those who believe in the little creation will still say that God knew ahead of time before you were in your mother's womb. The Bible says this. So they believe it very literally, just like they do Genesis 1 and 2. God knew you, had you in mind when he was on the cross, all the other stuff, had you in mind personally. You were in God's mind at creation. The evolutionists believe that for Adam and Eve and for everything, that when God started evolution, he knew everything that was going to happen. He had you in mind. He had the dogs and the cats and the fish, everything, everything in mind from the beginning. And that's where you go back to Martin Luther, um, even some universalist thoughts, some things that I, I really like to think about that brings me a lot of joy is that the Bible says that right now the earth is in birthing pains. It says that he created all things. The Bible really seems to indicate, yes, our souls are being saved, but also God's doing a work in the whole world, not just for us humans. I find that encouraging because when I look at the earth today, a lot of stuff is depressing. It's sad. You know, it, it hurts my soul to look at the state of the earth today. But just like Martin Luther wrote, right? God created, God preserves, it's going to be okay. And God recreates, whether that's an ultimate new heaven and a new earth, or whether that is him renewing us in our body and mind today, whether that's him renewing our earth through the actions of the church who are going to do things like carrying about green energy, who are going to do things like feeding the hungry, helping the homeless. Um, God will recreate. So God created, whatever that means. You know, maybe he spoke it and it happened that instance out of nothing, ex nihilo, or maybe God had help. Maybe God had evolution in mind and started this process and had his hand on the process all along the ways and worked with creation. Either way, God created. God preserves. Whether that is through supernatural acts of him keeping us from destroying the planet or whether that's him working with and through the people of God to preserve the earth, God preserves. And eventually, God recreates. Could be a new heaven. Could be a new earth. Could be a renewal of this earth definitely involves a renewal of our hearts and our minds. So as we continue to think about these deep theological ideas, these concerning things at times, these things that have become really polarizing, we have to remember God is recreating. I really like that part of Martin Luther's idea, and I hope that that's something that all of us cannot take hold of and bring with us going forward, even if we have no idea whether it's meant to be a literal creation or evolutionist. I mean, Am I really going to disagree with people like John Calvin and um, Wayne Grudem? Seems pretty hard. I'm nowhere near that level, right? Am I really going to disagree with people like Pete Inns, Thomas Ord, um, Augustine, Origen? Yeah, nope. I'm not on that level either. I'm just a humble guy looking at all these views, trying my best to wonder what is created mean? What is God's creation? How is God still creating? What does that mean for me today? So, like we always say, one form of worship is with our mind by thinking about these things, studying them deeper, and really concentrating on the things of God and trying to learn more. I'll leave you all with three questions today, as always. Number one, I want you to ask yourself, what if I am wrong about how to read Genesis 1 and 2? What if the way you're reading it is wrong? Wherever you're at, whether you've questioned this before or not, whether you've been taught the same thing your whole life, Take a minute and question, what if you're reading it wrong? What would it look like if someone else was right? What if you weren't right about how to read it? What would change for you? Think about that. Does original sin, this is question two, does original sin 
makes sense with my beliefs about creation. Whatever I believe about creation, can that also hold the idea of original sin? Or do I need to rethink original sin? Do I need to rethink what I believe about creation to make this fit? Or maybe original sin is wrong and what you believe about creation is right. Think about how does original sin fit or not fit within your own beliefs about creation. Question three, what is creation made up of? Did God have help? Did God use stuff that's already there? Did God create of himself, like use his own particles and make me? Or was everything created ex nihilo out of absolutely nothing? And if so, how was it created out of nothing? I think thinking about these three questions will really help all of us worship better, think about God better, and grow closer to God. So again, what if I'm wrong about how to read Genesis 1 and 2? Does original sin fit with my beliefs about creation? And what is creation made of? Guys, I hope you're all just as confused as I am and that you're inspired to study these great theologians and thinkers like Augustine, like Origen, like C.S. Lewis, um, Thomas J. Ord, Pete Inns, um, Antrogen Genesis, Biologos. I hope you're encouraged to study all these things more, look into them more, um, and to just keep growing in your own faith journey. Thank you all for joining this dummy on my journey to learn more about God and to love him better. And I hope this has encouraged you to worship God in your own thinking and to keep on struggling. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.